0: Uh All right. Well, I mean, you know, I'm ready to just go whenever we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Got an interesting setup here. What's your setup? I'm using a dresser in a loft in this house. <laughs> and I'm sitting on a stool.
1: Well, you know, got to gotta, gotta yeah. make do. So you're on vacation this work.
0: week. Yeah.
1: Marianna and I were talking about this and we we're like, wow, it would be nice to have a, a week long vacation. So we're jealous. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: have you <laughs> That's oh, have you say, started recording? I have. Oh. You said go ahead. Oh, this, okay, yeah, yeah, I said go ahead, and then I was like, okay, well, he'll tell me when he wants to go, or he'll ask me to count down, or something. Um, no, I am, actually. Sure yes, I'm on vacation now, so I have this awkward setup to do the show. Um, it's been fantastic. We're right on the beach, and... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Last time we had a week long vacation. Um, I mean, it's probably been it's been a couple of years, at least, maybe maybe more like three or four years since we had an actual vacation that wasn't just um, you know we're going to go for the holidays and see family, which is nice, but it's not the same, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, seeing families—that's work. That's not that's not vacation, you know, unless you're <laughs> you're vacationing with family that you like. You know. Right, which we are this week, but, right, right. you know. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah, it's been it's it's been really great. Yeah. So if you follow me on the on the Twitter or the Instagrams, then you've seen some of the scenery. <laughs> I'm doing my best to make people jealous.
1: Yeah. You're. you're uh, well, what's the what's the meme that the rich rich kids of Instagram? You know, when it's like all they post is like uh, Greek islands and. Beautiful right. scenery and beaches and all kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, we're we're not on vacation, but today, it's actually, sorry, my, that was my German Shepherd, not me snoring. Um, uh, uh, today is actually the one month anniversary of when I started growing my beard. So, I was oiling up my beard this That's morning. A big day. And thought, yeah, I thought, oh, happy birthday, little guy. Uh, plus <laughs> it, it's and I know that because it's the one month anniversary of when I left my my previous position at at uh, at the bank. So I've I've been back in the agency now for one month, and so it's it's kind of been like a holiday because, you know, I get to get to work uh, how I want, where I want, and dress like I want, and with a beard. So that's kind of fun.
0: And with a beard, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah,
0: everything's better with a beard.
1: <laughs> that's what he said. I don't. I'm looking at a picture of George R. R. Martin. Just as you said that. And that's anyway. Um. Yeah. What a what a yeah, crazy he's month. He's got a good beard. He, yeah he's got a. Got kind of a big one. I'm I'm at that point now where I'm trying to decide, you know, because I, I like following the the idea. I, I read too much on the internet. I like following the idea that you're not supposed to touch the beard for like a month. You're just kind of let it go, right? And figure out what's going to happen, right? It's it's like a little kid, you know. You don't you don't want to you don't want to steer him in the wrong way. That's what I do with our 18 month old. Um, I just let him run around and you know, don't do anything for the first month. Yeah, you just you, you know you you feed him. But you just let them, let them poop where activated. they want, and then you figure out where they poop, and then you, nah. and that's where you put the toilet. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that that story that people always tell about design, where um, some college out west, might have been Berkeley or something, they put in sidewalks, and they realized that's not where the kids were walking, so the grass got messed up. So then someone, you know, smart, came in and said, oh, well, you should put the sidewalks where the people are, are you know, walking, and you should never... Put sidewalks in before, because then you're, you're prescripting design. Anyway, um, yeah. So I've, I've kind of let it go, and uh, I'm at the point now where I'm like, do I do I start grooming this thing in a different way? Because I, I did the beard oil and all that stuff, and it doesn't look bad. But like, yesterday we had a um, <clears throat> had a, a board meeting for a uh, nonprofit. I'm I'm on the board for here, and um, you know, it's a bunch of doctors and lawyers and, and such. And we're all in our suits, and I'm sitting there with my, you know, my month-long beard. It's like, ah, does this look professional? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay now, but I'm yeah. one of those people who thinks about these things, uh, as you are.
0: Yeah, I think about it a lot. I do think um, you you do have to let it go for a while when you first start going to kind of get a sense of what you really want and let it fill out and stuff. But you know, I did the just let it grow for a long time and get big and thick and um it was fun i'd never done that before but you know as i look back on those pictures i look like i was you know 15 20 pounds heavier just because of the beard on my face um so i keep it trimmed down a little bit lower now you know for that reason and it looks a little bit neater for you know professional settings and stuff but um you got to get a good pair of beard scissors i think that's the that's a key um, got to
1: get a really good pair of beard scissors to kind of, you know, trim up the flyaways. Say <laughs> I like the flyaway. No, I kidding. kidding. Uh, do you do you watch Last Man on Earth? No, it's a terrible show. It's Will Forte right. and and January Jones is in it from Mad Men. I, I like both of them, but you know it's a stupid sitcom. Anyway, we we got um, attached to it a couple of years ago when, well, eighteen months ago actually, when Mariana was in labor. Um, so I was trying to find something that. You know, we'd never watched before on Hulu and the iPad, as we're, you know, walking around the hospital and Target and everywhere else. And uh, so we, we found we found the show and thought, oh, this would be silly, you know, fun binge watch material. So now we're kind of we're we're invested in the show, so we have to see what happens. <laughs> anyway, he if for people that know that show, he's got this huge beard, um, and he like fluffs out the sides, so it's one of those kind of you know like the the cheek beards where the, the yeah. sides go way out. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to do that. But then I, I don't want to be like like a Ron Swanson, you know, in Parks and Rec either. Yeah, it's, it's a little that's a little too yeah. groomed, but, be, but big. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's
0: the, you know, the kind of the big, like really well-groomed beard is definitely the you know, quote-unquote like hipster thing. But I think we're kind of going away from that a little bit. And we're definitely seeing a lot of, yeah definitely seeing a lot more guys with kind of shorter trimmed beards uh, a lot of guys that I know that have had big beards have since um, either shaved them or trimmed them very short uh, which is kind of interesting to watch mm-hmm. um, so lumber sexuality I is dead apparently it's but that Snapchat. I mean if anybody can bring it back it's going to be me and you well that you know I'm not going to I'll put on my canoe shirt i grow my beard out <laughs> <your> canoe shirt <laughs>
1: ah yes um we'll go we'll go buy some uh what's the brand that all they have filson some filson gear um yeah uh, speaking of this is thinking religion if you're if you've made it this far and you probably know that i'm sam harrelson joined by thomas whitley and we do the show every week where we talk about various things including religion um <laughs> with your this is thinking religion where we talk about religion with few exceptions with few exceptions we got gotta be evergreen um and and you can always listen to our shows over at thinking.fm it's our website we're also pretty active on facebook and twitter so you can find us there on our website you can do fun things like subscribe if you want we have various players like overcast and pocketcast and apple podcast all you have to do is click and go straight there because I see a lot of our listeners still—not a lot, but some of our listeners are still stuck in iTunes. And I'm so sorry, but the, you know, there, there is a better world. Even the Apple Podcast app is better than that. Um, so, on our site, you yeah. can you can easily you can listen to the shows there, of course, but you can you can subscribe. Um, and it's it's I, I'm bringing this up for a reason, not just self-promotional reasons, um, but also there's there's our link to uh, help the show out, help us become sustaining uh, or sustainable. Because, it, you know, it does cost things to put things on the Internet. It does cost monies. Um, so if you would like to, you know, leave $25, $50, $100 in the tip jar so we can help Thomas quit his job, just go to thinking.fm and there's a link to our Patreon account. All that to say, um, I was I was perusing in the middle of work the other day as I do TweetDeck. And on Twitter, I saw a link to an article. Um, oh, God, there's a picture of Sean Spicer. And uh, I know it's Photoshopped <laughs> behind a bush. <laughs> it looked really convincing. Anyway, um, so you know, I, was, I was working, but I kind of glanced over at Twitter and I saw a tweet that said, uh, the Old Testament is dying, new podcast by OnScript, which I'd never heard of before. Um, so I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So I clicked over and it's, it's an Overcast thing. And, and this guy does his podcast um, through um, SoundCloud which, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. But um, it, it's an interesting podcast um, that, that we'll talk about in a minute maybe, but the way that I listen to these things, and I, I've had this question come up before from listeners, like how do you listen to so many podcasts, you know, like if that's what you do all day or whatever, like are you subscribing to these things or are you just kind of clicking and playing in the browser? I, I use a service called HuffDuffer. Have you ever heard of this? No, I haven't. This is new to me. All right, so HuffTuffer, which is a terrible name, it's been around forever. Like I don't know, probably ten years, eight ten years, which is ancient in internet world, of course. Um, but I, I started using it way back because I mean, this we started this one in two thousand eight, um, so I think even then HuffTuffer was around. But you, you create an account and you install like a little bookmarklet in your in your browser, whether that's Chrome or IE or Safari, or whatever, and like a little link bookmark thing at the top. And anytime you come to a page like this, linked down in the show notes, you can just click that bookmarklet and it will grab that audio from that one episode. And it doesn't just work on podcasts. It's like any kind of news thing, even if it's a video or like a YouTube video, for instance. I I grab some of those sometimes. And you subscribe to this one feed that you create from HuffTuffer. And then in your podcast player, that's what you see. So you get kind of this, you know, collection of things that you've curated over time. So when I when I go through my regular podcast I don't have anything to listen to um, you know I'll you know pop in here and say like oh yeah well I meant to listen to that you know let me let me go back and, and revisit that so it's kind of like pocket or, or um, you know one of those kind of like save it later read it later type services for audio right and uh, and I, I really I really enjoy it and I, like I said I use it a lot it's a free service and you can actually follow people there's not a ton of users as you can imagine um, but there are some pretty influential people uh, on there. Like, I follow Merlin Mann, who's internet famous, does a couple of podcasts, and he's got good taste. So it's like, oh, well, I'll I'll see what he's listening to. And, you know, you kind of find off-the-wall things. But like with this, I'm not going to go subscribe to this podcast just yet. I might. Um, But, you know, just to listen to one show. Or if if someone tweets something about, like, you know, Science Friday show or This American Life that I'm not subscribed to, because, you know, those are radio shows. Those aren't necessarily podcasts in my mind. Um, I can grab that one episode and not have to worry about subscribing. So anyway, great service. But I, I grabbed this one um, thing from, yeah, Onscript. Um, and it's, a, it's Onscript.study is the domain. They're using one of those top-level domain extensions. Yeah. It's a, little, a little off. Uh, but the description is, guests, guess uh, Brent Sean unfurls his uh, provocative thesis that the Old Testament is dying with Onscript uh, host Matt Lynch. Matt and Brent discuss the malaise of ignorance about hostility toward and success-driven repackaging of the Old Testament and recent and ancient history. Along the way, Brent laughs a lot, sheds a few tears, and even sounds a few hopeful notes. Uh, so uh, Brent Strawn is the professor of OT at, at Candler uh, down in Emory, uh, and he's al- also the author of What is Stronger Than a Lion, Leonine Image and Metaphor in the Hebrew Bible in the Ancient Near East which is really interesting because I you know, did some stuff in Assyriology and lions are, are very popular. Um, and editor-in-chief of the award-winning Oxford Encyclopedia of the Bible and Law, along with iconogra- iconographic... Iconographic. Iconographic. <laughs> <When, when, laughs> Those are hard. I, I tried to words jump words in. Are and I, you know, the I words are hard. The I-words. Iconographic exegesis <laughs> of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Anyway, so... Um, it's, an, it's a fun listen. I, I encourage you to go listen to it and let me know what you think. But I've put the book on my Kindle, and I read the first few chapters. I was trying to get through it before our show today, but didn't get time. Um, anyway, I, I thought that might be a fun topic because I know in, in our church um, and in sort of the the realms where I, I exist, you know, whether it's in real life or on Facebook or Twitter, which is real life, but, you know, digital versus meat world, I guess, there's always this um you know either the the bemoaning of of biblical literacy which i agree with but you know we we all kind of say like uh oh yeah why can't people know their their bible like they used to or there's this sort of i don't know kind of like fake not fake of a word these days. There's like this veneer or this layer of perceived understanding about what the Bible is. And it's like, oh, well, the Old Testament for Christians just leads up to to Jesus. And the whole point of the Old Testament is to get us there. And, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen to Abraham or Moses or Jacob or any of those, you know, people who came before Jesus. uh, And Jesus has to go back in hell, maybe to save them. Or maybe, you know, they, they did the best they could with what they had. Um, but but the full revelation of God comes through Jesus, you know. And there's that kind of glossed over perception of what the Old Testament is and how it functions, um, both culturally and and in worship experience. And I, I blame um, the lectionary for some of that. But um, I, I did. I mean, what do you think? I, I do think there's a there's kind of a um, a cultural, I guess. Um, Deficiency in terms of understanding how I don't know. I, let me let me back up. So the Bible is still a very important part of our culture, whether we're post-Christian or whatever. And I know you Great. don't like that. See last week's show, but if if the Bible's going to be here, like instead of saying, "Oh well, you know, we're, we're past that. Let's not let's not worry about studying it." Like from one side. Shouldn't we encourage people to know as much as they can about it, but from the other side say, well, you know, culture and society um, is replicating to the point where we understand that the Bible is not the foundation of, or should not be the foundation of our, our government and law and everything else at this point in 2017 and beyond. You, do you see what I'm saying? Like, we're kind of in this middle changing period from the dark ages into whatever's coming next, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> the darker dark ages. Um, <laughs> the digital dark ages. <clears throat>
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's kind of hard to diagnose, I think, because on the one hand, yes, we have this just kind of overwhelming um, illiteracy ab- about the Bible. And, you know, a, a lot of the data shows that that comes largely from people who profess to be, you know, who identify as Christians and profess to be Bible-believing people. Um, they don't know what it says. I mean, I experienced this. Plenty in classrooms teaching New Testament with students who grew up their whole lives in churches. and Oh, well, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, let's, you know, maybe look at the text right in front of you and see what it actually says. Um, but it does, at least in our kind of cultural imagination, hold still hold this kind of an, this uh, important place. You know, the, that it has this kind of um, really important role to play in the shaping of our society. But I think that like pretty much anything else, it's really largely just a tool, right? Um, it's a tool that's being used uh, by people on various sides. Um, I'm, as you know, you know, as listeners will know, I'm definitely a proponent of uh, the increased rise, if we would, of the religious left. Um, I, I think that it's the, the quote unquote religious left has been influential for a long time. I, uh, we've, we've already spent shows talking about cultural wars and things like that. But the religious left is using the Bible insofar as they are using the Bible in similar ways that the religious right is, right? I mean, it's it's largely proof te- texting. It's largely to say, you know, I, I'm going to quote this verse or this chapter at you, like Matthew 25, for instance, which we're seeing a lot, because okay. – um, and, and I'm going to say – and just by you know the mere presence of me quoting this – when I quote a Donald Trump tweet or something like that is going to show that one, I'm morally and religiously superior to you. And two, we know this because I really follow what this text that we've all obviously agreed is authoritative says. Now, I happen to fall on that side where I would say like, hey, yeah, if we're actually going to try to say that we follow Jesus or that that's an example that's important to us or whatever, you know, as people that might identify as Christian, then I read things a certain way. And um, I, I don't think that – I think everybody's doing that, right? We've talked about this before. The difference is just set, you know, being honest about what we're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody is kind of playing into this, um, this idea that the Bible does have authority. And because it's a text with, that we have imbued with authority – um, we have to, right? We have to make arguments that are um, based on religion because we're trying to win over "quote unquote" religious people to our side.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, was it Frederick? I'm trying to find this uh, this quote by Frederick Bigner. Um, yeah. Okay. Here you go. This is from a threadbare language. I shall go to my grave. A friend of mine once wrote feeling that Christian thought is a dead language, one that feeds many living ones, to be sure, one that still sets the vibrating, uh, I'm sorry, still sets these vibrating with echoes and undertones, but which I would no more use overtly than I would speak Latin. I suppose he is right, more right than wrong, anyway. If the language that clothes Christianity is not dead, it is, at least, for many, dying. And what is really surprising, I suppose, is that it has lasted as long as it has. And then he Bigner kind of equates Christian learning with a language, which is what uh, the author of, of uh, the book and the podcast we're discussing, um, where he, he kind of goes with that, in the Old Testament is dying, um, and, and says that if you think of, you know, take the Old Testament, if you think of Old Testament literacy or Hebrew Bible literacy, however you want to phrase that, or, you know, the Tanakh, um, that it's, it's a language into itself. And you kind of have to understand the nuances of that, and and you know if you wrap it with that kind of a um, an approach, it, it's a little more approachable than just saying, well, you know, here's this thing called the Old Testament, and you access it from whichever variety of experience that you're coming from, um, and here are some things that you should understand regardless. Um, so I kind of like that that way of framing things as, or, or using the framework of. of linguistics if you will to approach something like the old testament or the new testament or the bible or even you know christian thought and christian learning um you know but bickner was writing this decades ago so it's it's kind of interesting to to see that we're we're still having the same conversation and i, right. I mean every generation thinks it's the last right so you know what was it uh, victor Davis Hanson <laughs> wrote um who killed homer the demise of classical education yeah. and the recovery of, of greek wisdom which i read when it came out back in 2000 and i was in grad school and I was thinking about going into a classics uh, PhD program, um, and I, I actually went and interviewed with the Yale Classics Department and all this stuff. They had the best office in the world. It was uh, beautiful, <laughs> like straight out of the movies, you know, with like ancient yeah. coins kind of laying around. <laughs> type thing. Anyway, I forgot the professor's name. Um, but I, I remember reading this book and thinking, you know, yes, this is it. This is what I want to devote my career to. It was kind of resurrecting the classics and making them approachable and, and real again, whatever. Um, like every 20, 22 year old goes through, right? <laughs> right. But I don't know. It, it, yeah, it just bugs me. Like sitting in church and when, when you hear someone say, well, you know, here's, uh, you know, here's this Psalm and this is, you know, Jesus was talking about this, uh, on, on the cross. Here's or Psalm 22, right? We just got out, out of yeah. Easter. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, those weren't original words. And I think most people kind of get that. But when you go back and read Psalm 22 and you think about maybe what Jesus was implying there, like, that's a whole world open all of a sudden to you right. if you've never thought about that, right? So, I don't know. And I, I guess, and I'll shut up now because I've been talking too much. For me, that's that's why I'm kind of passionate about this and interested in this topic of like the Old Testament dying, even as the mirror, whatever that may be. Um, because I was a, a chemistry computer science major in college. And I went through two years like that and loved it, did well, had fun. Um, And I took a Old Testament class during summer school when I was also taking like calculus three or four or something because I had to get it out of the way because I went to a a small Methodist liberal arts college here in South Carolina, Harvard of the South. It's called Wofford College. It's a great school. Um, (laughs) We have a good basketball team. So (laughs) at Wofford, being a Methodist school, you, you have to take, you know, so many credits of history and religion and all that stuff and, and being a liberal arts school, which is great. And I, I still think that's a wonderful approach to learning um, because it, it forces people, even if they're going to school to be a chemistry, computer science person, nerd, uh, to, to think about Homer and the Old Testament and, and the Civil War and realize, wait, people have asked why the Civil War happened before, you know. <laughs> Those types of questions. I don't believe it. <laughs> there is a history of thought here underpinning our... Nobody
0: knew the civil work could be so complicated.
1: I'm just priming the pump. I mean, I just came up with that term. That's a great term, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, no one knew that before me. Have you me. heard that
0: before? <laughs>
1: <laughs> with a few exceptions. Uh, so Your um, exceptions. I, I, I took this summer school class, and I walk in as Professor John Bullard, who was a very entertaining professor, and I'm thinking, oh God, you know, because I, I came out of a very conservative southern Baptist, uh, southern Baptist background, and I, was, you know, I was always spiritual, but I was never like a- after I got to college, I kind of dropped off and thought like, bah, I'm done with that. Don't have to go to that church anymore. So you were an SBNR before it was school, <laughs> right? Exactly. I was, I was a nun. Um, so yeah, I I was kind of looking at this like, well, I'll go, in, I'll go into this with a historical mindset, and that that's the way I can approach it and I can box this thing in so that it doesn't affect me. Which is still what I do when I fall into my historical critical mindset, right? Um so first day of the class, we we launch into Genesis and Professor Bullard's talking about the variations of, you know, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, however you want to say it, as he was saying back then, but, you know, it's nineteen ninety six. Like that's that's um you know it, it, and it's a small little 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 art school. Uh but he was talking about how um you know, we, we access this collection of things differently, and, and they're all, you know, the, the collection themselves depend on if you walk into a Lutheran church, or a Catholic church, or you know, a Baptist church, or a, a Jewish synagogue. And um, then we, we went into some some of the basics of translation and transliteration, and, and how the message isn't necessarily something like the NRSV, or the ESV, or the CSV, or King James, you know, whatever. And it was such an amazing experience that first day that I thought, you know, I'm done with chemistry, computer science. Like, my world has just been open to me in in a new way that I'd never thought about. Like, this thought technology that I'm experiencing, you know, it's it's like, wow, this is a really interesting way to interface with this body of knowledge, but also the world itself. So, it's it's kind of like when you, you know, someone like me, who they, they use an app or Twitter or something for the first time, and you're like, wow, this is going to change the world. That's how I felt that day, and I'll never forget that. So, I, I actually went that day to the registrar and changed my major, much to my parents' chagrin, and my advisor and <laughs> everyone else around me. But I, I thought, this is amazing. And, you know, whatever comes after this, you know, I I'm, I'm, was on the way to Damascus, but, you know, this was a pretty good experience. And, um, you know, the scales have been lifted from my eyes kind of a thing. So that's, that's kind of why, I, in, in some ways, when I'm sitting in church and I hear someone, you know, being uh, unknowingly, you know, completely supersessionist, or, or using a text, like you said, right. you know, out, out of one one way and kind of and mangling it. In in my mind, is mangled. Um, you know, like that. That really does affect me because it's like, no, no. There's this whole thing out there, and all you get, all you have to do is just, you know, read this, read this one book, or, or think about this one thought, or let's look at that text and, you know, King James versus the Hebrew, and, and think about it that way.
0: I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, and so then you have. Okay, so this is a problem, right? And and you know we identify a problem and then we try to fix it, or at least a lot of us do. And that's not a bad thing. But then you know I see the ways that some people are trying to fix that, and I'm just I'm just not sure, right? So I'm thinking about Rob Bell's new book that's about to come out, right? And the title of it is, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, it's super clickbaity. Um, what is the Bible? How an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything.
1: Boom, everything. <laughs> Which everything. is what I was just saying, but I, I wasn't saying it that. I know that terrible. I know, but it's like, okay. So this, like, the premise of this is I
0: haven't read the book. I'll um, say so that it, well, it's not out yet, but there's um, there's an interview with him in Religion News um, in RNS, and it's you know it's an interesting interview, um, but. I don't know so it's like the the premise of hey let's rethink how we're approaching the bible it's not a bad thing right i mean it's it's largely what you and i do on a you know weekly basis on this show um but it's just really interesting and and the fact that it comes from rob bell is also interesting and you know i'm sure we've talked about rob bell on the show before and so our listeners may or may not know my feelings toward him and his approach um but it's just kind of funny that because the title of the the article is Rob Bell Takes Back the Bible. And, you know, it's without kind of saying so. He's trying to say, like, hey, I'm taking it back from people like John Piper and, um, you know, some of these kind of more conservative, maybe evangelical people. And, you know, the way they read the Bible isn't right is what he's saying. Um, and in a lot of ways, we might say something Similar, But it's also funny because there are a lot of people who've been doing exactly this for a really long, long time, right? <laughs> the so-called religious left, right? Liberal Christians that have been here long before. Rob Bell even thought about writing Love Wins and, you know, dancing around the idea of universalism. they be like, no, 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 but I'm not a universalist. I never said that. I'm just asking questions, right? And it's just like, right. I don't know. So, I mean, I've had this conversation with a number of people. There is this – There is a very um, healthy cottage industry for people that are like formerly evangelical talking to other people who are formerly evangelical, right, about how evangelicalism should change or about how conservative Christianity should change. And I don't – I mean I, I think it's probably helpful helpful for some people, right? I mean, and some are much better at this than others. Um, there seem to be, in my opinion, a lot more women doing this and doing a good job than there are men. I mean, you have Rachel Harold evans you have Sarah Bessie, you have, you know, a bunch of people like that that are, you know, prominent and um, you writing on the internet <laughs> and writing books, <laughs> right? Mariana is doing this. And, and some people are doing a really good job at it and actually bringing out kind of really substantive issues and questions. But then, for a lot of other people, I feel like they're making a lot of money acting like they're being super controversial when they're not being controversial and they're saying things that other people have said forever. But because it's them saying it, people want to pay them a lot of money. I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I don't doubt, like, people like. Like reading Rob Bell. I mean, it's, his his style is not one of my favorites, but people like reading him, and that's okay. And they want to pay money to read him. I have no problem with that. But this kind of idea, I don't know. I guess this idea that Rob Bell is going to, you know, in a short book, completely take back the Bible and show you how it can transform the way you think and feel about
1: everything, is just laughable, right? I mean, yeah. well, he says <coughs> he says in, in this interview. Link in the show notes. The Bible got hijacked by certain religious people and we need to take it back. Well, I mean, it's A, what is the Bible? B, who are the religious people? And C, who are we? Who are we? Yeah. I'm interested in people who would never give the Bible the time of day taking it back. Okay. But that so doesn't
0: even make sense, right? like to the, the millennials they never man.
1: had it. I don't know. It's subversive and it's beautiful. And if somebody doesn't get that, honestly, I just don't care. Should speech right for for uh, our president. Yeah. There's too many people who are hungry, who are thirsty, who want to have this discussion. It's just incredible. It's so much fun, which I, I agree with. People do want to talk about it, but I, I guess that's that's kind of my argument against him. And and I, I see what you're saying and arguing with myself, I guess. Um, the Bible is what you make it, and I think the, the I'm sorry, right? Always. To go to sleep. Um, so when you when you talk about taking the, the Bible back, you're, you're playing into the same game as John Piper. Or as Albert Moeller you know, whoever you want to, you want to put up as as the right. paragon of conservatism, um, and saying that you're taking it back just does the same thing that they're doing, but with you know your language around it, which isn't really helpful in the long run.
0: Right, right. So we're just we're just yeah. No, I agree. I mean, we're playing into the. We are just you know, kind of bit players in this larger, um, you know, I don't know play of. Heresy and orthodoxy, right? It's just polemics yeah. back yeah. and forth. It's no, I read the Bible better. No, I read it Bible better No, my way is right. No, my way is right. Like and, and what, What's, know, what's amazing
1: just, to me to think about is, is that this all comes about because of a, a, a heresy, you know with Martianism, like the whole idea of a canon comes about because he put together, you know, Paul's writings that he had access to and, and uh, Was a part of Luke And, you know, kind of package an
0: edited version of Luke. Yeah. Yeah. And And so here's what you should
1: be reading. And, you know, kind of the what Bart Ehrman calls the proto orthodoxy or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the early Catholic Church, the early universal church that "Ah, we we don't really agree with that. And that set off this whole canonization process. But, you know, it's not until three, four hundred years after Jesus that we get something like a, a working canon that most people agree on. Uh, who call themselves christian and that's after up uh, you know three four hundred years of wars and fighting and death and <laughs> people you know right. literally struggling to and to even then it's not what s- that is the canon isn't set right i mean yeah, exactly. We don't, exactly
0: we don't get a list of the that matches the list of the new testament 27 books in the new testament that we have now we don't get a, a list that matches that list exactly though not in order until uh toward the end of the fourth century but that's right. not the last list we get. I mean, they're still, you know, fighting about this, and you know, obviously we've talked about this some before on the show last week or the week before, right? About whether the canon is actually closed or not. So I guess my and, and that's just the New Testament. I mean, the Old be, Testament, right? That's just the New Testament. Right. My point would be like, if you really want to be subversive, then get out of this whole polemical heresy orthodoxy argument, in, in, in you know, period. And don't worry about saying who's right or who's wrong or, you know, the way I read the Bible is more accurate. That's 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 exactly what he's saying here, right? When he brings up the the Akeda, the story of, you know, Abraham, you know, almost sacrificing Isaac. He's like, no, 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 but if you read the text, it actually says this thing, not this other thing. I mean, that's just – I mean, how is that different from fundamentalism, right? It's just let's look at the text and exactly what the text says. And, I mean, and there are a lot of ways in which – I am very – I respond to that quite well as an academic and, you know, let's look at what the text says. I mean, but but if you really want to be, uh, you know, subversive, then you would not even have that conversation, right? But largely, right. they're – I mean, I don't know. They're just allowing it to continue because they're participating in it because – I mean, they're playing the same game, and they want to win just as badly as the people that they disagree with. And winning for them means making more converts to their way of reading the text. And there's nothing new or interesting or subversive about that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I I guess that's the problem. You know, when we talk about the Bible or the canon, the text, the New Testament, the Old Testament. When I say that in in, you know our little church in, in rural South Carolina that's going to come across as as one way and when people think of the bible it's a the thing you know there, there's a there's there's a, a qualifier there right before the name and it's not your bible or my bible or, or thomas's bible or rob bell's bible it's the bible and that bible is the same today tomorrow and forever in, in many people's minds right. so when you talk about you know reading this text this way um you're starting control on something that's an absolute, that doesn't change. You know, this is just like how Moses wrote it down, because he wrote the first five books. This is just like what Jesus wrote down in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, maybe parts of John, and this is exactly what Paul wrote down in Colossians and Ephesians. And if you don't believe that, then you're probably not going to believe that, you know, Peter and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written by those two guys, but they were. And, and then John went to Patmos, and he, you know, wrote Revelation—I'm sorry— Revelations, right. Um, <laughs> you know, so there, there's that, that mindset in the public culture, it feels like, even you know, especially in churches, where the Bible is this thing that doesn't change or is not necessarily susceptible to our own experiences or, or our own interpretations or interacting with it. The Bible is this platonic ideal that, you know, literally dropped out of heaven, kind of like the Quran, uh, that is... The same today as it was, right. you know, in in thirty three.
0: And that's that and is if, largely how. If you don't think it, that,
1: then you're you're not a you're not a real Christian,
0: right? And that, but and and I I like that analogy because that's largely how it exists, kind of in contemporary American sociopolitical thought, right? As a Platonic ideal and not as an actual thing, uh, to which people are, um, you know, subjected, right? To which they, are under which authority they actually are. Right? So, I mean, the Bible's kind of out there as this idea, this ideal, and people talk about it as if they you have know, read it or interacted with it or whatever, uh, but largely they haven't, but it still kind of exists out there in the ether as this authoritative thing. Um, there is one thing I should say that I, I appreciate in this interview by Rob Bell, and again, I haven't read the book, but I will probably when it comes out um, – where he, he he tries to get at the idea that um, – right, so he says, you know, anytime someone says, why did God do X, you won't get a very good answer because the Bible is not a book written by God. It's a book written by people about God. And I appreciate that. And in a couple other places of in the interview, he does kind of try to get at, um, like, this is – this gives us more insight to humanity than to God, though I don't – he doesn't say it like that, but that might be how I would say it and that's something that i can appreciate right and, and i've probably told this story before but you know being in um you know in israel on this you know uh on the on the coast of the sea of galilee in a fishing village there's um you know there's a uh a synagogue there, and everybody's, you know, ooh and on over this old synagogue. But right beside the synagogue is the village where the, you know, the people lived who fished for a living 2,000 years ago. And that, to me, is always going to be much more meaningful than a synagogue or a church that was built, you know, in the 12th century that they're trying to say is, you know, the place where Jesus did this or did that, and um, this kind of aspect of the shared humanity. And that's something that I think we can get, you know, by having a perspective that he's at least hinting at here, um, that this tell this can tell us about humanity. And in some ways, when if we can uh, step back and evaluate how we approach the text, tell us about ourselves as well. That may be something that's useful and that's helpful.
1: Yeah, that's good. I like that. But, I mean, I don't know. Like you said, I think if, if he uh – if Rob Bell were to were to go into these more conservative congregations and, and have that kind of a discussion, rather than here's how you should read the the Bible, um, you know that would that would sort of sit a little better with me. But yeah, I mean the fact that those conversations are happening, and you know he, he had enough cliche to kind of start that whole fight about love wins, <laughs> you know, with with uh, his his thoughts there that kind of rattled you know parts of the more conservative right. uh, church establishment. I don't know. It just, yeah, you know, it's all a power play. You know, it's, it's, it's people using this as a tool, using the Bible as a tool to um, not necessarily control their congregations, but to make sure that the money keeps coming in. Because It's if you always really about want to know, money and power. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you really want to know what, what Abraham was up to and why God told him to kill his son, you know, it's don't go listen to that Bob Dylan song, but, you know, come to church and find out. Oh, and put some money in the plate, please. Because right. we don't do online donations because that's from the <laughs> devil. Anyway, that's good. We, we, we dropped some wisdom there.
0: We did. That's what we do every, every week, right? So our, lo- our new listeners will begin to learn. It's, we are dropping that <laughs> hashtag truth.
1: Although Rob Bell does have a much better name for his podcast than we do. It's <laughs> the <called> Robcast. Rob-cast. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I don't know,
0: really? I mean, come on.
1: Is that a better name? So I thought about doing this new podcast where I, you know, because I have some time on my hands now, um, where I... Go through and do my ideal Bible study, which I've, I've done at places like our, our previous church where Mariana was pastor. Yeah. I did a couple of, you know, six month long things. Like we went through the whole book of Acts and it was amazing and it took, I don't know, over a year, but it was so much fun and, and we got a lot out of it, or I did. And I thought about, eh, why don't I just do a podcast where I sit down and, you know, record myself going through the book of Acts? And no one would listen, but I, for me, it would be a lot of fun and I'll be able to get that side of. Uh, and myself out. Your children could listen to it later. Yeah, is that, and then when the AI robots make me, you know, so that my kids can interview, my grandkids can interview me. Right. Uh, They'll know what grandkids. you really thought about um, how you compare the chronology between Acts and Galatians. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, before grand, Grandfather Sam, you know, ascended into heaven, I wonder what he thought about, you know, the, the three versions of Paul's conversion at, you know, right. on, the, on the road to Damascus. Um, but I could call it the SAM cast. The SAMCast, yeah.
0: I don't know. It just seems very um
1: pretentious. Yeah, yeah. ostentatious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self centered, narcissistic. I mean, I don't know. Like names are hard, right? Like maybe we, we started Sam talking Reitz about Huff and like <laughs> you know, well that'd be fine, right? Yeah, Sam reads is Bible. Yeah. cool it's um like mr smith goes (laughs) washington um that's fine like just tell us what it is i'm completely fine with that but like huff duffer you know sounds like a great service and a lot of people might use it if it had a halfway decent name
1: (laughs) podcast curation service llc yeah yeah no i I agree but you know but uh there there was a time when those things were names are hard like you said Name names are notice, really I mean, hard. Yes. We don't know we don't know what to call the show. <laughs> yeah, we go, yeah, we've changed it uh, a, a few
0: times. A few times. But we've talked about changing it a lot more than that.
1: <laughs> um, and you can always go to thinking.fm regardless of the name of our show yeah. to learn more about Dr. Thomas Whitley and myself. And, and Reverend, shows.
0: Reverend Sam Harrelson, which if you if you haven't noticed, if you followed Sam on <laughs> Twitter for a while, you'll notice that his name is now the name that comes up reverend sam harrelson so every day uh-huh. it's like reverend sam harrelson sent you a direct message reverend sam harrelson <laughs> liked your tweet but it just makes me feel good inside that i have a reverend that is you know liking and uh, liking my tweets and retweeting my the hashtag truth that i drop on the twitters <laughs> it was it was a little tongue-in-cheek i know i know i i, I appreciated that
1: yeah but you didn't I, put I it in your it handle last night so that's good. no no that's not actually i, I thought about it yeah but yeah i um yeah, a little little tongue-in-cheek. I was going to take it off last night because it's, it's been like a week, but I thought, you know, I'm having fun with this. And I'm getting a lot of, like, really interesting interactions that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, like a, a guy named Richard Dixon, who who I had a long conversation with him about, yeah, you know, can, canonicity and truth and Second Peter and fake news and that kind of stuff. Um, calls himself an ex-theist, you know, and, and I wouldn't have that conversation otherwise. Um and, and you know, he's just one. I've got a lot of direct messages, too, of people saying, like, how can you say this and be a reverend? <laughs> like, let me let me explain. Very yeah, carefully. Yes. 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 So, I'm you can start get more
0: of that uh, um, by following us on Twitter. Same as Sam Harrelson. I'm at Thomas Whitley. And you can always you can always I know it's like, oh, but we got to change the ending. But you can find more great podcasts. Yeah. Right? If you think about them more, more as the podcast. individual shows and not, you know, collections of shows, individual episodes and not like shows, you can find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm.
1: Where, where the canon is not closed and we're constantly adding new material to our canon. But, you know, you can get back and, and re-listen and re-experience those old ones just like Song of Solomon.